The scripture this morning will be read from the New International Version, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I think you'll recognize this as the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and sort of a capsulization of all of his teachings and an admonition to follow what he said, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Got me a green light. There we go. Thank you. Appreciate the singing. Appreciate this. Whoa. Whoa. We do appreciate the singing this morning. God bless you for being here. I love to lift up my voice with you. And what a powerful song. Uh, I am sorry that the kids were crying at the end of story time. I hope you're not crying after the end of the sermon, but I did, I have to warn you, I went long at first service and I did lose my voice, so maybe I'll go short and, and uh, without a voice this morning. God bless you for being here. We do find ourselves at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What a powerful story where it talks about not living ordinary lives, but to live extraordinary lives. And Jesus is trying to show his disciples, those following him, those closest to him and the masses as well, what living in this kingdom is like. I hope you've got a glimpse of that as we've been spending our times in that sermon on Sunday mornings. We got to witness it in many of the peak characters of the Bible, times that they didn't live as they should, but other times that they remembered Christ and his teaching and did what he said. And what a blessing to also be able to witness that in the lives of brothers and sisters even today. You might have noticed on the front of your bulletin that uh, Dean Niles has resigned as one of our elders after 33 years of serving as a shepherd here. Dean and Virginia means so much to this congregation. They were, they're beautiful examples of kindness and compassion and caring. They've been married over 70 years. Their faithfulness to each other, but their faithfulness to the Lord's church is also special. And Dean is resigning, and uh, he's be able to even give Virginia more of the care that she, she needs. And I'd let you know that on the Sunday evening, the 23rd of September, we're having a special reception to honor them. But I just wanted to join my voice with others as we thank Dean for his years of service and all that he's meant in so many ways to so many people. He truly has lived an extraordinary life. And as we're going to talk about today, he lived his life and we're supposed to live our lives on that rock, that foundation of truth that Jesus shares in the Sermon on the Mount. And if we're going to live that kind of life that follows his teachings, it means we have to listen and not just listen, but we also have to obey our Savior. Obey Jesus. Well, I know a lot of you don't remember this, but in July of 1976, I was a youngster back then, and I do have a vague memory, we were, as a nation, celebrating uh, our anniversary of the independence, and so our minds were focused there at our 200 years, but across the oceans, there was a very 
different event taking place. Some terrorists took over Air France and hijacked it. It ended, ended up in Entebbe, Uganda, where they were making some demands that some, uh, uh, some of the Palestinian uh, people be released. And, and of all the people that were on the airplane, they released everybody except for the Israeli Jews, and they kept them. And as the hostage situation progressed, it became more and more obvious that they were in great danger. And so Israel decided they were going to go in in a commando raid that they called Operation Thunderbolt to try and rescue the hostages. And they did, and in a matter of 15 minutes, the 105 hostages that were still at the airport were rescued, and 102 of them were rescued, and three died. The commandos came in, and it's a long story, and they've made movies about it. You can read all about it. But as the commandos came in, in the Hebrew language, a language that the Israeli Jews would have understood, they yelled out with great authority, Get down, stay down. Get down, stay down. And as the hostages went down, the captors were still standing, and they were able to shoot them, and they killed all of the, the, the cap kidnappers. And only three of those who were hostages died. Two of them heard the command. They just, for some reason, delayed getting down. And so they were shot in the crossfire. And the third, actually a young man, he was actually on the ground when they came in and for some reason stood up and was shot and killed. Maybe to see what was happening. But of the 105 there, 102's lives were saved. I, I think they listened to the, the command. I think they heard the authority in the voice. Get down. Stay down. We're Israeli commandos. Get down and stay down. And they did. And they were saved. Jesus has just taught his followers what it means to be in the kingdom. To live a life that can be saved. And they recognized in his voice something different. Something different than what they've been hearing in this world. Even from other people who taught religious concepts. At the end of our text in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, we read how when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at what he said. Because he taught as one who had authority not as their teachers of the law, not like one of the scribes. There is something different about what he's teaching. It calls us to an action. And the question Jesus is going to put before him here now is, what are you going to do with it? And he's going to describe two possible ways to respond. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's verse 24, but he also describes another one, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. He said, okay, you just heard what I talked about, this kingdom living and how to live this extraordinary life, you have to act in this way. And that means you have to be changed in the kingdom, changed from the heart, from the inside out. And it means that not only do your actions not do what's wrong, your heart doesn't go there as well. Not only do you not murder people, which is wrong, you don't hate them in your heart, which is also just like murder. And it's not that you just don't commit adultery, but you don't look at a woman as to lust after her. Because your heart matters. 
And therefore, don't look for a reason to get out of your marriage and, and, and be divorced, but instead be people who keep our O's. Our yes is yes, and our no is no. And we don't live lives of vengeance, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But we are second-mile people. We are people that not only do not return evil for evil, but we do good to our enemies. And to do that, we live lives of humility. We don't pursue the things of this world where they say we're going to find happiness. Instead, we're going to pursue treasures that are in heaven. And then we don't have to worry about things in this world. Wow, that is, that's different. And so Jesus is now saying, so what are you going to do about that? You know, the only difference in these two statements, the only difference between rock and sand is the word not. Are you going to do them? Are you not? So I want to look very briefly at not living. <laughs> if you're not going to do them, this is not living. This is an example of the foundation on the sand, of following the passions of this world, money and materialism, a popularity of fun. It's like many of the people of the world say, whatever brings you pleasure, whatever makes you happy, that is what we ought to pursue. But have you ever noticed that these pursuits are moving targets? It's like standing on shifting sand. There's always something different. And we're chasing that next feel-good moment. And when we do, it's like that little song we sing with the children. And the fun part of that song, and the foolish man's house went. So do you say splash, splat, or crash? I don't care what you say. It's coming down, right? And it's the fun part of the song for little kids. You know, they love it. And the foolish man's house went splash. And oftentimes when I lead it, I, I say that last phrase twice just because it's so much fun. But I'm here to tell you, when you're living it and your life crashes down, it is not fun and you do not want to repeat it. Because life falls apart and it's no fun at all. And that's what happens when you build your life on the beach, when you build your life on the sand. And why would anybody do that? Why would anybody go there? Jesus describes it in Matthew 7, verses 26 and 27. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the house blew, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Why would anybody build on the beach? Well, just imagine this. You have a, a weekend off. You've been working really hard. You live somewhere outside of Oklahoma near an ocean, near a beach. And you decide, I'm going to go and spend a week there. Just camp out on the beach. And while you're there, it's beautiful. It's so pleasant. The breeze coming in, the waves, you're having so much fun. That you decide, you know, I'm going to build me a little shack to, to live in while I'm here. And you enjoy it so much that the next month you go back. And lo and behold, your little shack is still there. And so you, you have all week, so you, you build on to it. Then you go back home and you dream of that place and you go back six months later and there it is. And you brought people with you this time. It's so much fun. And so you add on to it a little bit more. And then you end up going back there once or twice every year and, and you just keep expanding and adding another room because your friends come and another floor and all of a sudden you have this place that you enjoy where you've invested so much time and money and energy, special times with friends and great memories that you have. And it is a house fully developed, only built on a beach where eventually a storm will come through. 
and the ground will erode, and the house will fall. But you've got too much invested in it. You know the storms are going to come, but it's too much fun. You think, what will I do with my weekends? Where will I go? What will people think? And yet, still, the storm does come, and all the time, effort, money, and memories are gone. That's a house built on pleasure. Just following what feels good, what I enjoy. It's a book that's been out for many years. I love the title of it. Evan Burkett told me about it this week. The title of the book is Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's written by Neil Postman. He has some very interesting things to say in the book, but I thought you might uh, enjoy this one. He said, Americans no longer talk to each other. They entertain each other. They do not exchange ideas. They exchange images. They do not argue with propositions. They argue with good looks, celebrities, and commercials. For us, for us old-timers, he wrote that 30 years ago. For you young people, is it not true? Is it not true? That's exactly what we do. We've exchanged our lives of meaning. He goes on to say, I believe I am not mistaken in saying that Christianity is a demanding and serious religion. When it is delivered as easy and amusing, it is another kind of religion altogether. And I would agree. And yet we live in a nation that is amusing itself to death. So I'm going to give you an example of not living from the Bible. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel comes and he anoints Saul, king of Israel. And here's his words. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. That is God's command. It's pretty clear. It's pretty direct. Saul is to carry out God's plan. He is to obey, but he doesn't. Verse 13 and 14, Samuel comes to Saul on the slopes of Mount Carmel, and he hears these sounds in the backgrounds. But as he reaches Saul, Saul says, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said to him, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Who is the guy you're talking to standing next to you, King Agag? He says, You haven't done that. And so Samuel confronts him. And the first thing Saul does, he lies. He says, I've kept the commandments. I've kept the instructions of the Lord. <laughs> and he hadn't. The second, he just lies. The second thing he does is he passes the buck. He says, oh, it's, it's, it's not my, my fault. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to God. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen. He says, it was their idea. The people decided to do it. It's not my fault. They did it. It was their idea. And the third thing he does is he rationalizes. The reason they kept the best of the sheep and the cattle is so that they could sacrifice them to, you, to God. The best of what was to be devoted to God in order to sacrifice him to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And so he rationalizes his actions. So 
many times, even we as followers of Jesus do the same things. We lie. We say we're following God when we're not living that way on, during the week. Or we pass the buck, it's not our fault. Or we rationalize our actions. But Saul did not listen to God and he did not obey. And in, in response to that, Samuel gave him these words, verses 22 through 23. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or listen, to listen is better than the fat of rams. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Because you won't follow God, you won't listen and obey, you can't be king, Saul, anymore. You can't be God's man. And if you remember the life of King Saul from then on, it's not a pleasant one. It is a life and a spirit that crumbled and fell apart. When it comes to Jesus' teachings, hearing without doing leads to destruction. But there's another option. There's an option for those who hear and then obey. It's the opposite kind of living. It is going to a place of permanence. The words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's for those who choose to obey and build. And they build not for fun, but they build a life of obedience. And when asked by others, why did you build here? The waves, the water, it's over there. And you're far from all the fun. And over there in the sand, it's soft and pleasant. But you're building on a hard rock. It's more difficult and it's not as pretty. And then the storms come. And they come for all. They came for Noah. It was by faith that Noah heard God's warnings about things he could not, could not yet see. He obeyed God and built a large boat to save his family. The storm came for Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. It was true for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were said, bow down or walk into the, into the fiery furnace, and yet they said, our God can rescue us. He can save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Or Joseph, when tempted by Potiphar's wife, how can I sin against my master and against God? They choose to, choose, chose to live a life of obedience. But don't be mistaken, listening and obeying is hard. It's not the easy way. It's not the comfortable way. It is hard. When you hear the word obey or obedience, do you get a warm, fuzzy feeling on the inside? Or does it kind of go against the grain? 
to do something just because we're told to, just because, we often use the word and feel a negative feeling. It's hard to obey because it's hard to have submission, to let something else be over you. I mean, obedience is just compliance to an order. It's submission to another's authority. I like how Randy uh, defined it in the office this week. He said, obedience is conforming to the ways and the will of God. That's a pretty good definition. The kind of obedience we're talking about today is conforming to the ways and will of God. That's what we're called to do. But it's hard. But yet it's the strongest foundation to, on, on which to build your life. And yet we find ourselves in disobedience constantly. Disobedience isn't really that pretty if you think about it. I remember hearing about a mom who had a five-year-old and he was, he was pushing all of her buttons, just being more than she can handle. And finally she was pushed to her limits. And she, she said, Johnny, just do whatever you want. Now let's see you disobey that. <laughs> so we push back against obedience. You know, it is good to obey when we understand the command. It's good to. But sometimes we obey even when we don't understand. Obedience is then the key. We have to believe in the one who's commanding us and then do. How do we accomplish this? Listen to the words. The words of Jesus, recognize the person. I mean, today, it's a call. As you listen to the words of the Sermon on the Mount, don't you sense that it's different than this world? Do you hear the authority, like those crowds who were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, Matthew 7, 28 and 29? Authority helps us to obey, so listen to the words of Jesus. But listening is hard. Even the 12 closest to Jesus struggled with this. I mean, they had a hard time. They listened, but we still constantly witness them trying to build their lives on authority or popularity or power. Judas and the others, when the woman came and poured out that perfume on the feet of Jesus, they said, we could have done a lot with that money. Or James and John pull Jesus aside and say, when you come in your glory, we want to have the positions of authority. We're going to be right there on your right and left-hand side. But it wasn't just them because when the other ten heard about it, they became indignant because they wanted those spots. And then, oh, Peter. Peter in the garden takes out his sword. He's going to defend the Christ, right? He strikes off Malchus's ear. And then... The storm hit. And they all ran. And their faith crumbled. And later we read that G Peter went outside and wept bitterly. That's a house built on sand. And at that moment, they were examples of not living, not putting into practice. And they stumbled and they fell. But one went through that storm and through that suffering 
that storm of suffering and as the rain came down and as the floods came up he stood he suffered he stayed and he saved Philippians 2.8 and when he was living as a man he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God even when that caused his death death on a cross and that changed everything and that changed everyone's options and it changed those disciples those men were changed they witnessed Jesus die but they also witnessed him rising from the grave they remembered his teachings and after he was ascended into heaven they listened and obeyed they became those who obey who put it into practice they took out the knot and became ones who do and may that brothers and sisters in Christ may that be us may we take out the knot and become ones who do the Word of God no longer stand on sand that moves or on pebbles that flow away but to build our lives on the rocks of obedience and faith not interpreting life and events through the lenses of this world but listening to and living like Jesus and then I like them can stand when the storms come and so Peter that one who ran who wept bitterly was arrested by the same people who had arrested Jesus and he comes to stand before them just like he had witnessed Jesus standing before those same men and when they tried to intimidate him with prison and with threats he stood before them as a man like Jesus a man of faith and he did not crumble and Acts 14, 13 says when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and took this note that these men had been with Jesus they were now people who had seen Jesus and were building their lives on that faith in him they had taken the knot out and become ones who live it and they stand brothers and sisters in Christ that's who we can be as well that's what our call is to find ourselves rooted in Christ and his teachings and to build our lives on faith Paul would later write in Colossians 2 6 through 7 so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and we've been taught brothers and sisters the call is to live our lives in him to change to not be taken captive by this world but to live lives like he called conforming to the ways and the will of God it's the strongest way to live for those who've never put on Christ I think our call today is to walk away from the beach now it doesn't get any easier with time listen to the words of warning listen to Jesus I know sometimes you wonder if, if I left what I've built so far who will I be friends with 
I mean, what will I do on the weekends? Who will be my family? What will I do for fun? And the call is to walk away from that life, but to be filled with an abundance in Christ, to believe in Jesus and in his teachings, and to say, I'm going to live like that, to confess him as Lord of your life, not this world's demand. Repent of your previous path and of building your life on the sand and give your life to Christ and be baptized and have your sins washed away. Back in 1976 in Entebbe, at that airport there were 105 hostages. One wasn't there. There was actually 106 hostages. Two days before that raid and their escape, Dora Block, age 74 from Israel, choked on a chicken bone. They had to take her to the hospital. She was fine. And Idi Amin, the uh, terrible dictator of Uganda at the time, called the next day and said, I want her back at the airport. Is she recovered enough to come back? Well, the doctors and nurses had been watching the news and they knew things were looking really bad at the airport for the hostages. So they lied. And they said, no, no, she, she, she needs to stay here in at least another day to, to recover. And so when the commandos came to rescue the hostages, she wasn't there. She wasn't saved. And Idi Amin had her killed in the hospital. The doctors and the nurses tried to stand up for her, and they were killed as well. I mean, I appreciate what those doctors and nurses try to do to help her. This world tries to help us through our tough times. When we're taken hostage by the things of the world, the world tries to help at times. But many times, they keep us from our place of salvation. I don't know if she'd been there, if she'd been one of those who stood or accidentally got killed. And I don't know about you, but I do know this. If the world's trying to protect you, it is no protection. But Jesus has spoken. He's spoken with authority. Won't you listen to him and respond and build your life on him? We're going to sing an invitation song. And if you want to give your life to Christ and be baptized, I hope you'll respond. Or if you need to return to your first love, that's a great time. We'd love to pray with you. I also want you to know that a couple of our shepherds and their wives are going to be making their way to the parlor. And they'd love to receive you there. If you'd just like to go to visit with them, and they'd love to pray for you. You can go out any of these back doors and make your way around. I hope you consider the words of Jesus as we stand together and sing. Be seated, please. Mike Shaw has come and asked for us as a church family to pray for him. He makes this statement. I've been walking a path in, in my life that was alive for many years now, and it was a betrayal to my friends and family and to my church home. I've sought the counsel of my good friends in the Wednesday men's class, my sons and my psychiatrist, and wish to apologize now to you, my church family, and to ask for your forgiveness and prayers for a more righteous path forward. A more righteous path forward. What a beautiful statement. One of our shepherds, Lyle Kelsey, is going to lead a prayer on Mike's behalf. Mike, we'll take a very important time right now to uh, ask God to help you and give you strength, heal you, 
give us understanding of, uh, of his great love for us. And you and I have talked many times, and I know that you've uh, come to the church and gaining strength, and that's a big part of the first step. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are so mindful. We thank you for the message this morning that helps us to understand your great love for us. Mike is bearing his heart and his soul uh, to the congregation, asking for their forgiveness and asking for your forgiveness. We know, Father, that uh, you know uh, all the uh, anxieties and hurts and things that Mike has gone through. We know that you love him greatly. We just ask you to put your arms around him, arms of strength and healing and comfort and peace. Raise him up and, and guide him in the way that you would want to guide him and that give him strength and direction in his life. We know that he seeks you, he seeks your will. He wants to do the very best like all of us do and we fall from time to time. None of us are perfect and we just pray that you will guide Mike, give him strength, let the friends here at church to surround him, hold him up. Be with him in those times that he uh, is uh, concerned about his health and his life. We just pray that you will give him strength, comfort during those times. Be with Mike now in this day and this coming week. Help us to be able to minister to him. We thank you, Father, for your love and for your uh, mercy towards us, for we uh, are all fallen. In Jesus' holy name, amen.